really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the podcast that brings you news, results, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby union. As always, I am David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. The leagues I follow are MLR here in the US, the Gallagher Premiership and the URC in England and Europe, Super Rugby and the NPC in New Zealand, Australia, and the Pacific Islands, and when I'm able to catch it, the Scottish Super Six and the Curry Cup in South Africa. On top of that, I follow the European Champions and Challenge Cups, the Guinness Six Nations, of course, the boringly named Rugby Championship, as well as the Summer and Autumn Test Series, wherever I can find them. So with all that rugby to cover, you can count on us to be here 52 weeks out of the year. On top of which, you'll find a whole litany of bonus episodes, including most recently, an interview with Lee Calvert, who is the co-host of my favorite pod, the Blood and Mud podcast, which I will again link in my show notes. So it's a little later than usual due to what I thought was going to be a, a two, uh, what was going to be two Monday games, but we'll obviously get to all of that. So as always, I'm here with my big fat mug of tea. Uh, my Patriots sadly lost again this weekend, but there was still holiday rugby to watch and share. So if you want to get in touch, by all means, please do so. I can always be found on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just shoot me an email via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So get in touch whenever and however you like. So with all of that out of the way, let's dive right in. So current updates, and if you listened last week, you'll already know my my family's plans to spend Christmas in New York City. Those plans were scuppered, but we were determined to have a nice holiday anyway, and that's exactly what we did. Uh, couldn't really afford any nice gifts this year, but you know I'm well aware that we're still very, very lucky in many, many ways. And I was incredibly grateful to have my family around me next to our, our little tree and our festive lights, and it was just lovely. Of course, my son got way too much stuff, and that is a <laughs> the king of the first world problems, I guess. So here's honestly hoping that the new year is brighter than the last two. We could all use it everywhere in the world. Uh, so I hope everyone listening also, I hope you stayed safe and sound over the holiday and that you remain so. He's stupid! He's stupid! People have to know! Yes, Isa, while though, of course, there was lots of bad news around COVID, it is the end of the year, which means all the stories about all the best players of the year, the teams of the year, the best plays, the best tries, the best malls, all of that stuff. Just the sort of gushy, nostalgic stuff that, you know, even for a fairly cynical person like myself, tends to bring a real smile to your face. So, for instance, I saw a great shout out to Waha Smith, a player that I have liked for quite a long time now. So as they mentioned on Rugby Pass, and I will link the full article, which is great, uh, in the show notes as always, quote, the Springboks loose forward copped plenty of criticism in the Lions series after stepping up and tr uh, to try to replace Dwayne Vermeulen. His performance in the first test was put under the microscope. Yeah, that's an, an understatement by you guys. Uh, they continue, but as the season wore on, he was one of the box best. As part of a strong back row unit that powered South Africa, Smith ended up with the fourth most turnovers of any Springbok, winning nine across 10 tests. That's pretty good. He also carried frequently and ended up with the second most tackle busts of any Springbok forward, ending with a positive gain line average of 1.8 meters per carry, unquote. And those stats, to me, don't really paint the picture, uh, the whole picture of a hard nose and above all, just a wickedly versatile player who's continued to prove all his doubters wrong just year after year. 
And, you know, on top of all that, I just truly get a kick out of saying waha. And for my thoughts of the week, you know, <sighs> the botched handling of the European Cups and now the postponements and cancellations in the URC and the Prem, along with, you know, just the widely varied and just frequently, frankly, nonsensical rules about masks and crowds and just everything else. It's made this weekend a, a bit of a bummer. You know, the festive derbies are a tradition that I've really come to love and it just didn't feel like the holidays without them. So now that being said, I have chosen. I, I do not want to use this space to complain about things that everybody's dealing with because we're all dealing with that crap anyway. So I theorize if you all are nice enough to tune in, I can be nice enough to keep things cheery and try to be maybe a positive influence on your day. So Let's get to the rugby that did get played, and some of it was truly spectacular, honestly. So, not the Italian derby, obviously, but we'll get into it anyway. I have news. And what sort of news do you have? Not bad news, is it? You know I can't take bad news. The day started out so good. I had a good night's sleep. I had a good BM. I don't want to hear any bad news. Now, what type of news is it? Well, to be perfectly frank, it's bad. So let's get to the reviews, and we'll start with the URC. And so on Friday, it was Christmas Eve, Zebra were playing Benetton. And, you know, I admit, I got really psyched up for this match somehow. Yeah, I, I convinced myself that it was going to be close, you know, even though Zebra were involved. Uh, I just, I don't know. I was thinking having it on Christmas Eve would somehow make it magical and special. Uh, nope. No, definitely not. Boy, oh boy, Zebra are bad. Okay, wait, no, no, I'm sorry. That's not true. That's not true. Zebra Parma are bad, because uh, that's what they want to be called now, and we aim for accuracy here on the scrum of the earth, if nothing else, and that might be it. In any event, it was excruciating to watch, frankly. Zebra Parma just can't do anything right at this point. It, like, is their stadium maybe built on a haunted graveyard or something? Like, seriously, what is actually wrong with them? It doesn't, it doesn't seem possible for a team to be this consistently inept for this long. Is there... Is there something that could fix it? You know, money, like a new coach, new ownership, maybe a priest who knows how to perform exorcisms? I don't know. Anyway, it was tough. <laughs> it was even a really gray, sort of crappy day out, so you couldn't even be distracted by the beautiful Italian scenery. Ugh. Anyway, Benetton were up 24 to zip at halftime, and it felt like it, you know, could have been more than that. I do like that they play despite having Nicolas Cage playing number five for them. You'd think that would hurt their chances, but it seems okay. Oh, and there was, okay, I admit, a funny moment. A few minutes into the second half, so a Benetton player was getting tackled, and he decided to offload it. But the guy he was attempting to offload it to was like, no thanks, and just shoved him to the ground. It was like, oh, no, no, I won't be carrying that, and you're part of a ruck now. It was really funny. I had never seen that one before. Anyway, around the 62nd minute, Zebra finally got on the board with a try that may or may not have actually been. It kind of felt like the ref was like, you know what, guys? Here you go. You know, it's it's not going to make a big difference, and you really tried hard. So, uh, in fact, once Zebra got desperate, they started playing from absolutely everywhere, and Benetton seemed to sort of switch off a bit, letting in another breakaway try in quick succession. By the way, if there's one good thing about Zebra right now, it is absolutely, and I hope I don't botch this, Asiele Tuavuaka, he is an absolute monster, and they just, they were not getting him in the ball nearly enough. Like, every time he had it, it was like a wrecking ball. It was incredible. Although, I guess, 10 minutes of the time he didn't get the ball was kind of oh, his own fault from his yellow card earlier. Anyway, Benetton answered back, but miss, missed the extras. After some tired looking back and forth, that's how things would end. It was 14-39 to 39 
all toad, all, all toad, yes, all toad, all told. The non-Italian matches I wrote can't come soon enough. So everybody got Christmas Day off, unlike here in the NBA. Uh, you know, though to be fair, in the NBA, getting selected to be one of the teams that do play on Christmas always kind of feels like a badge of honor. But they did get back to it on Boxing Day in theory. So again, several matches were postponed, including Ospreys versus Dragons. Both of the Irish Derbies really bummed for that. And uh, I wrote here, nevertheless, they persisted. And we started Boxing Day with Cardiff versus Scarlet. Oh, never mind. Yeah, sometime around lunchtime here, this match was postponed, uh, with the board planning to convene to look at dates for all four of the matches that were originally planned for Boxing Day. Um, considering it was set to play at 8 a.m. my time, that was a bummer way to start my day. It also told me that the first match of this year's 1872 Cup, slated for Monday the 27th, would probably also be called off, which it ultimately was. So this time they said the reason was positives in the Glasgow camp, but then they talked about rescheduling, so I guess, you know, We'll all learn more this week. Happy holidays, everybody. So, obviously, Ulster versus Connacht, Ospreys versus Dragons, and Munster versus Leinster were all off now, as we mentioned before. But uh, apart from the last-minute cancellation by the snakebit sale Sharks, all the Prem matches did go ahead. So, the Premiership. So, uh, I just have to say, to start off, the fact that every match in Ireland, Scotland, and Wales was off, but... They had what appeared to be full crowds in places like Bristol, Bath, and Coventry. Not to mention much later, they, they announced 70,000 at Twickenham. It just makes the whole thing all the more confusing. I know, I know, those are four different distinct countries with their own rules and their own governmental regulations. But, you know, given the geographical space they occupy, like the, the whole thing could fit inside Texas, it's just hard for me to get my head around it. So, anyway, that being said, I am so glad that there are at least some games this weekend so let's check them out as i mentioned before there were no friday or christmas day matches for the prem but on sunday for a little boxing day gift we had bristol versus leicester to start the week and oh my gosh it was so good you know it's funny i was gonna actually when i first watched it i was like i'm gonna wait and save it till the very end because it was so good but then the actual last game of the week was super good and i so anyway i'm gonna leave it where it was so I went into this one, you know, just assuming it was going to be a massive beatdown as Leicester have been literally unbeatable since something like June of last year, while Bristol have been suspect, let's say. So right from the start, it looked pretty dire with Kyle Sinclair getting absolutely manhandled by Genji in the scrum. And when Sinclair gets pushed around, it generally doesn't bode well for your team. However, the Bears' D was excellent. They were hold, they held Leicester to just three points in the first 20 minutes, and they themselves scored the first try at the 23-minute mark to take a 7-3 lead. Of course, I thought that's not exactly worrying if you're Leicester. They seem to get better when they spot their opponent a few points, right? However, Bristol really showed a ton of heart. They took their chances when they presented themselves. A great stat very late in the first half. Bristol had only two opportunities inside their opponent's 22, while Leicester had 17. But... Bristol were the only team with a try. And so the lead was 13-3 to at that point. That, that's amazing. What a great stat. Naturally, Leicester, of course, did get theirs before halftime. And at 13-10, I wrote, if I'm a Bristol fan, I am crapping myself right now. Prophetic words. A gross prophetic words. Side note, by the way, Harry Thacker, he is awesome. I feel like he could make a living playing rugby at any one of multiple positions. He's just so versatile. I really don't think he gets enough credit for all these sort of extras he brings to the table on match day. Anyway, 
Uh, Bristol, they fought and fought. They held on to a lead that would fluctuate back and forth between three and ten, but it just never felt like a sure thing. When George Ford drew the match level in the final quarter of play, I expected the crowd to just completely disappear. But to their credit, they showed a ton of faith in their home side. Callum Sheedy would miss two crucial penalties in a row that would have regained the lead, but after uh, Jasper, uh, sorry, Jasper Wiesa got himself yellow-carded with about 10 minutes left to go, he finally sw- slotted one in to take a three-point lead into the dying moments. Despite this, and I swear this is true, I wrote down, okay, now Leicester can pull it out of their butts and devastate every Bristol fan for years to come. And guess what? Bristol had a scrum with under a minute, but gave it back. Leicester had all of 20 seconds remaining. And then, of all the people in the world, somehow, Charles Piatow is a massive brain fart, passes the ball forward as he's trying to keep it in bounds, and Leicester have it back. Boom, boom, boom. Beautiful play, cascading down the right side of the field for a magnificent try a few minutes past the 80-minute mark. Tigers again snatch victory from the gaping jaws of their stunned oppositions. What an absolute stomach punch of a finish. The Bears players, just they looked like they didn't even want to leave the pitch. I thought they might all sort of curl up into a collective fetal ball and just weep for a few days. Utterly brutal. I imagine these two teams will meet again later in the year, and that is going to be a very scrappy match. So, by the way, the cameras and the comms spent a lot of time focusing on the scrums and the matchup between Sinclair and Genge, which was incredible. And can you believe these two are going to be teammates this time next year? So Bristol may be struggling a little bit, but they definitely have things to look forward to. As to hope, I think we all. So as I mentioned, Newcastle versus Sale was canceled just shortly after the Cardiff versus Scarlet's match was postponed, uh, though it doesn't look like the Prem will be rescheduling this one. It looks like they're just going to meet to decide how many points to give Newcastle for a forfeiture. Not a good year for Sale, to be sure. So next, we had Saracens at home for Worcester. You know, it's interesting because the idea of a Series versus Warriors matchup, it seems like the epitome of a blowout on paper. But these days, they're, they're a bit odd. The, the league's a bit odd. Worcester actually seem to be sort of putting up some good things, you know, putting some good things together. Saracens have been on a bit of an odd slide this year, or at least being they're, they're showing some inconsistency. So, you know, at least compared to their expectations. So I maybe foolishly... Hope I was hopeful that this one would be close, and uh, and then I don't know. I guess I think I went into like a kind of like a fugue state or a reverie where I was sort of imagining that Duhan Vandermeer was actually playing well for a team that didn't suck, and then when I came out of it, it was thirty three to zip for the artist formerly known as the Evil Empire. I'm feeling embarrassed to even live near a city called Worcester at this stage. So. The weary Warriors would score a try at last, but early in the second half, they still found themselves down by 33 points. At some point, the Saracens realized they were just kind of on a playground, matched up against kids way below their grade level, and they just opened up an increasingly sad differential. I so want the Warriors to be good, but wishing has not made it so. So even before three-quarters of the match had gone by, Saracens were up by 40, looking hungry for more. At 70 minutes, it was 61-14. to Yes, you heard that right, 61 to 14. The comms tried so hard to sound enthusiastic about Worcester actually scoring a little breakaway try just after that, but you can tell they're just clutching at straws, which is how Worcester fans must feel like all the time. So right at that spot, Saracens must have been, I don't know, handing out the festive brews on the sidelines or maybe in place of water on the field because they were just happy to let Worcester score as much as they wanted. They coughed up another 15 points while not bothering to surpass their own nine tries, which I guess was enough for them that day. The final humiliation was 61-29. to With the final score, i got to say, very much flattering the hapless away side. Ugh, 
Lee. And moving on to Wasps hosting London Irish, you know, the, the visitors, they looked really out of sorts for the first, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes. While Wasps, they looked very strong. It, it started to look like a bit of a walkover until London Irish finally woke up and started playing defense. So Augustine Creevy, the former Puma great, uh, maybe current? Oh, gosh, I wish I remembered. Anyway, he scored two tries and the score was 25 to 18 going into the intermission. It was so great to see Alfie Barbary out there. He is so good and just so much fun to watch. You know, I know he's struggled a bit with injuries despite being a really young guy. Let's hope that's not something that sort of continues to plague him. I, I just love watching him. He certainly looks back to his old self now. Anyway, Wasps score quickly in the second half. And when Jimmy Gopperth kicked a perfect 50-22, the crowd just instantly sensed it and went berserk. The home side, you just felt they had all the momentum. After missing one shot, he then got another, and, and the lead was 35-18 to with only the final quarter to play. The visitors weren't going anywhere, however, and a, a guy with an actual Irish name scored a nice try before the 64-minute mark, that man being Tyg McElroy. Uh, Tyg, what a great name. We had a guy in the Free Jacks, Tyg Leader. He's trying to, um, I think he's trying to be a kicker in the NFL right now. I guess he would prefer to make money than play rugby. Anyway, Gopperth again made the two-score margin a three-score margin, 38-23 to with just under 10 minutes left. Jacob Umaga somehow managed to get himself red-carded. That was a shocker. But despite a furious effort by London Irish at the end, Wasps got themselves an unexpected home win, 38-30 to at full-time. Fun match. But for some reason, I just have a hard time ever like in just enjoying watching London Irish. Not exactly sure what it is, but eh. And then, of course, we had, uh-oh, crap team alert. We had Bath hosting Gloucester. Uh, though, you know, in Bath's favor, anytime a team shows up with Jordy Reed on their side, your team should automatically get, like, 20 points extra just added for the, for the just because we all have to look at those gross white guy dreads. What are you thinking, mate? You're not a Rastafarian, and those things have got to go. It's diabolical. In any case... I'd love to be here reporting that Bath, you know, they finally found their groove and got it out a nice win at home. But I, I think we all know that wasn't going to happen, right? Although, you know, watching the match, the moon, unlike Bath themselves, looked in top form tonight, hanging gently over the, the lovely stones of the ancient city. Uh, two, by the way, for you listeners, two uniform questions for you. Number one. So in the previous match, I noticed that George Ford, he had a little letter J above the team logo on his jersey. So what was that? J? I've seen, you know, C for captain, and I've seen various things. What on earth is J? And so now, Bath also, they have the, the little star above their logo. I've learned that that usually means these are those represent European championships for your club. But I thought they only wore those kits, like with those indicators, while they're actually competing in a European match. Uh, anyone has any insight? You know, obviously, I could use some. So, Bath somehow managed to hold on to the slimmest of leads after the first quarter while the commentators are actively contributing to the worldwide depression level. Guys, I'm so, so sorry that you don't like this sport. Please, please go watch something else. Some of us actually like it. So as you'd imagine, Bath find a way to get two yellow cards on themselves, and Gloucester obliged them by scoring their first try. But, you know, Rockinagoonie's defense is making a huge difference at this point. He seems like the proverbial finger in the dam right now. Also, I have to say, my boy, Louis Three Salmon, he seems a little a little off recently. Anyone else think he's just gone off the boil a little bit? Uh, he seems a little clumsy. He's sort of making silly mistakes. It's always just outside of his reach. He thought he was just about to get it, but it steps into touch. I don't know. Maybe I'm just imagining it. <clears throat> so as I write this, of course, 
Gloucester scored again. It was 6-19 to after Hastings' conversion. A handful of minutes later, the exact same thing happens, and it's an unsurprising 6-26 at the break. Nice to see Chris Harris dotting down another try. The man is on fire right now. And to, you know, to me, he's a big part of why the Cherry and Whites aren't a laughing stock this year, which I think is nice to see. I think it's good for the league. Uh, as they keep mentioning in the broadcast, Bath have lost almost as many on the bounce as Leicester have won. They have dropped every one of their 11 matchups this season, and things are not looking optimistic for the holiday weekend. Quote, well, it's been 197 days since Bath last won a league match, unquote, drills what passes for the most upbeat commentator on the day, and that trend looks hard to break at this point. They did manage a, a try fairly early in the second stanza, but Glosser didn't look worried. The score stayed knotted for quite some time, though. Um, the visitors <clears throat> then doubled up the home side, but didn't really gather any further momentum. Uh, Gloucester got the lead all the way to 40 with just three minutes left. Bath's sort of whimper of a closing try at the 80-minute mark to bring themselves to half of their opponent's tally couldn't have made their fans feel any better. Uh, it even looked like they were about to botch the easiest play in the history of rugby right at the end. My gosh, they are shocking this season. So an iceberg-like crushing by the away team. I have to say... It's not just that Bath are terrible. Gloucester might actually be good. So it was 22-40, all told at the end of that one. So then finally, and kind of oddly, on Monday the 27th, we ended the weekend's fixtures with Harlequins at home facing the Northampton Saints. And this one reportedly took place in front of 70,000 fans at Twickenham. So yeah, we're all obviously following the same sensible policies, right? Uh-huh. Anyway, uh... Oh, God, this was not pretty to see. Harlequins came out in their traditional, I guess, Christmas olive drab. They kind of looked like a big bucket of pea soup that had already gone bad a few days ago. As I was watching this one, my son actually walked in and said, those guys look like they're in the army, which I thought was pretty funny. Anyway, Joe Marler got us started with a bone-rattling hit on the Saints fly-off. I know I simply never would have gotten back up from that one. I would, I'd be quivering on the field right now. They, they'd be trying to put some divots back in, like, sir, sir, you're going to have to move and stop crying, please. Uh, but it didn't phase the Saints, however, and within the first four minutes, they've already scored and converted a try. Of course, two-time Diamond in the Ruck recipient Alex Dombrand answers immediately, and Harlequins look like the champions they are. Agent Furbank helped set up the oddest try I've ever seen. It was really cool. Uh, and there, there have been, oh yeah, so there have been three tries, I said, within the first 10 minutes. So if you do out the math, you'll see that we're on a pace for a 56 to 112 victory for the away team. Uh, obviously, the math doesn't always play out, so I guess we'll see. Anyway, in that vein, New ha uh, Northampton, they squeak in another one, but Quinn's answer quickly, and I kid you not, it's 14 to 21 before even 20 minutes have elapsed. So Alex Domrand, God, his name comes up a lot. So clearly inspired by the awards he's been given by the grace of this very podcast, he's playing out of his skin and out of his mind right now. I honestly, I don't think there's a single rugby skill he doesn't have at the absolute highest level. So in other news, it was 22 minutes before we, before we saw our very first scrum. There was just so much ball in play. It was awesome. Uh, Quinn's tied it up with 10 minutes left in the half, but the time it took me to go refill my drink was enough for Dan Bigger to retake the lead by a penalty, but seemingly on a mission to get a hat trick of Diamond in the Ruck Awards, Don Brandt scores another try and grabs back the lead in the red for the first half. What a game, 26 to 24 was the tally at the break. Seven tries between them. What a contest. So then, of course, things calmed down a little bit in the second half. You know, that's kind of what you'd expect. With only a penalty for the Saints for the first 13 to 14 minutes. But then Harlequins create an incredible opportunity, which uh, Lewis Lining is more than happy to turn into points. 
So after 56 minutes, the seesaw score was again tilting Quinn's way. It was 31 to 27. The rain starts to pour down. Hard to see this pace of scoring continuing. So with about 15 minutes remaining, you can tell the ref is completely out of patience with Northampton's constant chatter. The field is starting to tilt Harlequin's way. A little scary to see Linux spending a lot of time getting treatment on the ground, but he did get back up. The medics seemed fine with him continuing, but they quickly subbed him out anyway, so I hope there's no bad news there in the coming days. Uh, Saints subs seem to be letting the side down a bit, although to be fair, nobody looks great out there at this point. There's what looks like a potential game decider. Agent Furbank gets isolated deep and coughs up a very kickable turnover. It's 34 to 27 with about seven minutes left. Gotta say, great game, surprised by the effort by Saints tonight. I, I again feared a blowout in this one. So Wayne Barnes, as I expected, he was utterly fed up with the after-the-play nonsense that's been mounting. Sure enough, after another silly shoving contest, he just goes, boom, hands out two yellow cards at the same time, no back chat, <laughs> back chat accepted. It's a little odd when each team gets a card at the exact same time because there's really no actual advantage for either side, right? But hey, dude definitely knows what he's doing. I will take his word for it. Uh, that seemed to sort of take the final wind out of this one, however. And my boy, Alex Donbrand, he got another easy one right at the end, getting himself a hat trick of tries. Uh, not quite the diamond in the ruck, though. Not this time, my friend. I can't give you two in a row. But he did seal another victory for the home team. Quins, they still look like the team to beat this year. Great game. Lovely bookends of matches for the weekend. It was 41-27 to at the end. As I say, disappointed with the lack of overall games, but the ones we got ended up being pretty darn good. Okay, that brings us to our coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award, and while there might have been more spectacular performances over the course of this weekend, I've decided I have to give it to the guy I had the most fun watching, and that was Alfie Barbary. Alfie, you destroyed everything and everybody in front of you. You created havoc and a whole slew of turnovers at the breakdown, smashed down a fantastic tribe drone, and generally inspired your wasps to a convincing win over a side expected to have a bit of an easy time of it on the day. Young Mr. Barbary, go find an older sibling to buy you some beer and raise a toast, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Congratulations! Okay, my friends, that brings us to our previews, and let's hope that the festive derbies can actually kick off next week. If they are, it's going to be such a great slate. Um, in the URC, on New Year's Day, we should have Dragons versus Cardiff, Connick versus Munster, Scarlets versus Ospreys, Ulster hosting Leinster, and on Sunday, we'd see Zebra versus, uh, Benetton hosting Zebra and Edinburgh versus Glasgow. I'm really hoping some or all of these can go forward. That would just be smashing. And then, of course, in the Premiership, we'll get two New Year's Day fixtures, starting with Sale versus Wasps, followed by Exeter versus Bristol. And then on Sunday, Gloucester versus Harlequins, Leicester trying to keep their unbeaten streak alive versus Newcastle, who look really good too. Uh, Northampton will host the Saracens. And then on Monday, we'll sort of end the week with a whimper rather than bang with London Irish at home for Bath. Anyway, because of all the cancellations and postponements, uh, the league tables for both of these competitions are a little screwy, in a, in a bit of disarray, but nevertheless, it's worth taking a look. Season isn't getting any younger, so in the suddenly kind of screwy prem, it's actually a lot more even than the URC right now. We have got, right at the top, we've got Leicester, as I said, unbeaten. They're 10 from 10. They have 45 points, followed by Saracens with 37, Harlequins with 34, 
Just behind them is Gloucester, doing really well this year with 33. Northampton have 30. Under 30, we start with Exeter Chiefs at 28. The London Irish have 27. Below them is Wasps with 24. The Newcastle Falcons also with 24. Worcester Warriors have 20. In 10th place, Sale, Snake Bit Sale with 19 only this year. Uh, Bristol with 15 points. It's been tough for them. And Bath with no wins have only four points. So, and in the totally twisted URC, we see that like only one team has played eight games, that team being Benetton, strangely. Of the rest of the, the teams in the league, seven of them have played seven matches, one has played six, and the rest just five. <clears throat> so, six of those teams have 20 or more points, starting with Leinster, who again topped the table with 29 league points, followed closely by a surprising Edinburgh with 28. Ulster are next with 25. Ospreys, Glasgow, and Benetton all have 21. There are five teams in the teens, including Munster and Connacht with 19 and 16. Cardiff have 14. The Lions and the Scarlets are tied at 11. It's worth noting, Munster have played two fewer games than Connacht, so that's kind of scary. Uh, the remaining five teams make up the single-digit club, with Sharks and Dragons knotted at nine points, Stormers with seven, Bulls with five, while, as we talked about earlier, lowly Zebrae, much like Bath, have yet to notch a win. A losing bonus point is their only mark on the league table. Bless those fans for continuing to support them. I, I don't know how they do it. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening and for reaching out. It's always great to hear from you. I've actually got I've got a request. To, I keep mentioning my big fat mug of tea, and I've actually got a request to say, well, what's the deal with your big fat mug of tea? So I'm... <laughs> In one of the strangest phrases I've ever uttered, I will be posting the details of my tea on Twitter this week. Stay tuned for that. So, as I mentioned, as always, if you want to get in touch, you can use Twitter. I'm at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram. You can always just email me at thescrumoftheearth at gmail.com. If you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, that would please me to no end. And if you like what we're doing here, there are a couple ways you can show your support listed in the show notes for this episode. Again, Thank you so much for coming along. Happy Christmas. Happy Boxing Day. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon and be well. It gives me great pleasure to be here today. All right, that was neat.